Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light to the Gentiles, a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will not I give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Father, thank you this morning for the blessed reading of the Holy Word of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 4 that we're to give attendance to reading. We thank you, Lord, that as we read your Word, it stirs us, it, 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 it provokes us, it stimulates us, it moves us. And today, Lord, I pray that you help use me this morning to draw your people closer to you. Father, as our chief shepherd, make us to lie down in the green pastures, Lead us beside the still waters today, and that we would drink and partake abundantly of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help, Lord, move in hearts and souls and lives. First, for anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, anyone watching by live stream that doesn't know Christ as Savior, that they'd open their heart and call on the Lord to save them. I pray today for God's people that, Lord, you'll draw us closer to you, build up our faith, stir up our hearts, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Isaiah 42 is one of three chapters in the book of Isaiah that speaks is about Jesus Christ, the servant of God. Now, when you read this, some thoughts will come to your mind. <clears throat> For instance, you read verse 1, it says, Behold my servant. The question is, who is he talking about? There's one of three possibilities that might come to your mind as someone perhaps not familiar with the Scriptures or a poppy who has not read this much. Answer number one might be, well, is this Cyrus the king that we preached about last week? Because Cyrus has mentioned Isaiah 41, and Cyrus has mentioned Isaiah 44 and 45, and, Isaiah, and, and Cyrus is called the servant of God. Uh, could this passage be speaking about Israel? Uh, I was studying this, and I mistakenly put this in, my, in the notes that you may have, that uh, Isaiah chapter 49 speaks about Israel. Now, some have mistakenly said that uh, Isaiah chapter 49 speaks about Jesus there, and you could probably say that, but I think really specifically in the context, is really speaking about Israel. And, and Israel is mentioned, if you go down a little bit further in the same chapter, chapter 42, you get down to verse 19, uh, it's actually talking about Israel. So who is he talking about in verse 1? Well, I believe it's not Israel, and I don't believe it's Cyrus. I believe who's being spoken of here is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now we're going to see Jesus Christ as servant, and we know that he's the servant of God because later on we get to Isaiah chapter 52 and Isaiah 53, and he's seen as the suffering servant of God. If you uh, have occasion, you might want to get the book or look online for the uh, series of messages preached by Pastor F.B. Meyer. He was a pastor from days gone by. He was a Baptist preacher during the 19th century, and he was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon and people like that. But uh, F.B. Meyer is one of my favorite authors. I love F.B. Meyer. He's very rich in his content, and 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 he's preached a series of sermons entitled... Christ and Isaiah, because as you go through the book of Isaiah, <coughs> excuse me, you see the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned here, and he goes off by t- just very eloquent messages that he preaches about Isaiah chapter 53, the surfing servant of God. But we know this is talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, because later on in Matthew chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, our Lord Jesus Christ quotes some of these very verses and validates these verses by quoting them, and I'll read them to you. In, Ma- in Matthew chapter 12, verse 17, Our Savior said that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. This is speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to me this morning. Yes, Jesus is God. Amen? He is God. And yes, Jesus is our Savior. Amen? He's our Savior. But yes, Jesus Christ is also the servant of God. But we must understand something. We've got to put out of our mind every concept and thought that we have been taught and we have read and we think about servants. Because servants in those days were looked upon. I don't want you thinking in terms of the extreme of a bond slave who had no rights where there were no labor laws during that day, and the bond slave had to answer to the whim and, 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 and desires of the one that owned him. He had no rights. He had no ability to make any decision. I mean, basically, the owner of that slave had veto power in his life. And on the other extreme, we're not talking about the word diakonos, which is a word that's translated into deacon, that speaks about someone who serves God fervently. It's not any of those words or other words that are used for servant. This is talking about one who has lowered himself, who's left the prestige of what he is, and lowered himself to become a servant to all. Now, sometimes we preach the word of God, and we tend to neglect the fact that Jesus, in his ministry to us, he is serving you and I. I mean, think with me just for a moment. Right now, as we are watching this service, Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews chapter 7, is in heaven praying for you and I. He is our chief intercessor, our our mighty intercessor before God. He's called our advocate with the Father. He comes alongside. Jesus is ministering to every one of us. I mean, it's 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 an astounding thought to think about that the creator of the universe, the savior of all of us, for all of us, is praying for you and I. He's serving us there. And so we're excited about that. And so this morning, I want us to see, behold the servant, the servant of Jesus Christ. Now, as servant, notice number one, He's the humble servant. He is the humble servant. Notice verse 1. The Bible says this. God makes this astounding proclamation. He says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold. Notice the next phrase. Mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. This chapter in the first 20 verses is speaking to us about Jesus Christ, who is God's holy servant. Now, when we look through the Bible, we find some beautiful, beautiful pictures and metaphors the Bible gives us, to give us a colorful understanding of the Bible. One of those images, we find that the image of an ox is used to describe a, a burden, a beast of burden. Now, this 
ox, if you would, is a serving animal. An ox carries on his shoulders, uh, you know, it carries a harness, and it's a very heavy harness. It's called a, a harness. It's called a yoke, and he plows the field. An ox is a servant, is a servant animal. The ox is a picture of Jesus Christ as servant. The ox is a picture of the Gospel of Mark. When you read through the Gospel of Mark, it's a very fast-moving book. In fact, if you are a, uh, very, a growing Christian, if you're not very familiar with the Bible, you're a new believer, one of the books of the Bible we encourage you to read in the beginning is the Gospel Mark, and you can read through it in one sitting, probably in one hour. You can read through the Gospel of Mark, and you see Jesus very busily serving and doing things. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, validate for us that Jesus Christ is the servant of God. Notice this, he made himself of no reputation. In other words, he is God who became man, and yet was still God. He made himself of no reputation. He did not come to be CEO. He did not come to be a, a venture capitalist. He did not start. He did not come to start Google. He did not come to start Amazon. He didn't do any of those things. He didn't come to be a famous geog- geographer or anything like that because he's the creator of all the world. He left all of that. He left eternity and stepped into our world, which is time. He t- took upon himself flesh because God is the spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He took upon him human flesh just like you and I. I mean, the corruption of flesh. I mean, he took upon himself the aging of flesh. And if you would, and all of that, yet without sin. And the Bible says in, verse, in Philippians 2, 7, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him. I mean, voluntarily, it was not forced on him. It was not, it was not something that he had to do. It was something he wanted to do. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Now, please fathom this. Even if you're a young person, Jesus became a, came to earth to serve. And as he served, he did so to make the way to the cross to die for the sins of all the world. Now, as the servant of God, as servant, would you notice in verse 1, Jesus is preferred. As servant, Jesus is preferred. Look at verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect. And let me pause there. The word elect is a wonderful word that's used in Scripture. I don't want you to shy away from the word elect, okay? In a few few weeks, we're going to be making an election, okay? The word elect means designated in position. Now, all of us are elect of God. Don't be afraid of that word. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a false doctrine that we call Calvinism, hyper-Calvinism, that takes the word elect and says that refers, that refers to your salvation. Now, let me help you with some things, Okay. The word elect is every time you find it being used, it refers to our position in Jesus Christ, not our possession of Jesus Christ. Say amen if you understand what I'm saying. It refers to our position in Jesus Christ, not our possession of Jesus Christ. It's like this, like Dr. Harry Ironside gave the example. Imagine you and I standing in front of the threshold of a door. You're about, you want to enter the door. In front of the door, there's a sign that says, whosoever will, he may freely come. Now I thank the God for the word whosoever. Whosoever means whosoever. It means it's open for anybody and every I'm glad whosoever included Alan Fong. Amen. You ought to be glad whosoever included you. But the moment by faith, when you repent of your sins and by faith receive Jesus Christ as Savior, that door is open. You walk through that door. You come through that threshold. You're on the other side. And on the back side of that threshold, it says this, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, the word election is talking about our position. The word elect, always when used in the Bible contextually, the word elect is always referring to sanctification, what, how we're to live for Jesus. 
Jesus Christ or our service for Jesus Christ. It speaks about sanctification, not salvation, okay? Election never is referring to your salvation. It's who we are in Jesus Christ. It's talking about your position, not your possession. When you possess Jesus Christ, that is of your free will. If you're glad today you're saved, you ought to say amen because out of your free will, you accepted Jesus Christ. Now, that being said, notice this. My elect in whom my soul delighteth. Now, though he's a servant, let me tell you this. God the Father in sending God the Son loves God the Son. God the Father loves Jesus. God, he called him my preferred. I think of a good analogy. In Luke chapter 7, we have a story there about a, about a centurion, a, a very wealthy centurion, a centurion that built a synagogue for the Jews in his city, and he had this servant that he loved very much, and that was very unusual, because especially for a Roman centurion. People just didn't love their servants. They despised them, they kicked them, they didn't have no rights, they, they abused them, they took advantage of them, but this man loved his servant, and his servant had a sickness that, that morphed into a grave illness, and he was dying, and he heard that Jesus was in town, and this is a Roman man, if you would, if you would a pagan man. And he sought out Jesus. And the Bible describes the centurion as a man who loved his servant. Now, when I read that, that touches my heart. That speaks volumes to me because in a small scale, it speaks about how much God the Father loved Jesus Christ. Now watch this. God the Father said, mine elect in whom I delighted. He loves the son. I read the story about a missionary to China back, back in the, around the, around the Boxer Rebellion time, about 1911 to about 1936 when he died. And if you want a good biography, especially every teenager, college student, or adults that have extra time, you ought to read the biography about Jonathan Goforth. And his wife, I think her name was Rosalind. Great missionaries. Incredible examples of prayer. And Jonathan Goforth, before the, before the communist takeover of China, was a great missionary that God used in China, winning hundreds and hundreds of Christ. And he established Bible, Bible institutes and colleges and schools all throughout China. And one of those places he had a Bible college was down in the area called Guangzhou, China. Now, in our Chinese-speaking department, we have a, a, quite a few members that uh, have their origins in Guangzhou, China, down in that area, the southern part. And, and the, the specific uh, dialect before Mandarin was, was pretty, Mandarin, the Mandarin language was pretty much was nationalized, was Cantonese. And he went down there, and this man had mastered the ability of speaking Cantonese and Mandarin, and he went down and he preached in this chapel service he had at one of his Bible colleges, and a student there, a man who was a student there, asked if he could speak with him. He said, Pastor Goforth, may I speak with you? And he said, sure. He said, now I've heard you speak three times here in chapel, three different times at our chapel, and he says, you've always said the same thing. You always speak of Jesus Christ. You always make him the emphasis of your message. You always lift up Christ. May I just say this today? If you don't preach about Jesus Christ, you have nothing to preach about. Amen? If you don't preach about Jesus Christ, you're going to run out of things to say. If you don't preach about Jesus Christ, you just have not spent some time in the presence of a Savior who loves you and is great. And there, you can never exhaust all the things you can say about Jesus Christ here. He says, why do you always preach about Jesus Christ? And God, uh, Pastor Goforth, being a very wise man, he looked at that man in the eye and he understood he had a Chinese mindset. He said, sir, let me ask this question. What did you have for dinner last night? What was your chief staple? Rice. He said, tonight when you eat supper, what you, what's going to be your chief staple we're going to eat? Rice. Tomorrow night when you have dinner, what are you going to eat? What's going to be your chief diet you're going to have? What are you going to have? He said, rice. He said, now why do you like to eat rice? And the man said this. He said, well, he says, it gives me strength. I cannot do without it. I know the feeling sometimes. Amen. It gives me strength. I cannot do without it. And he thought for a minute. And he said to Pastor Goforth, he said, sir, it is my very life. And as he did so, it's like a light bulb went on in his mind. 
He said, it's my very life. And Pastor Goldforth realized the man understood that. He looked at him and he said, sir, in the same token, Jesus Christ is your very life. Jesus Christ should be your heart's desire. Jesus Christ is who you desire more than anything. Now listen to me this morning. I'm thankful you're, you're watching my live stream and you're in church and you're worshiping God. But more greater than being a member of Heritage Baptist Church and more greater than the fact that you had to get yourself to get dressed up and ready for church, your greatest desire is not the church itself. Your greatest desire is Jesus Christ. Amen? Desiring Christ, desiring to worship Him. He is the one in whom my soul delighted. Hey, do you love Jesus this morning? Are you in love with Him? Do you desire Him? Do you delight in Him as it says here in this passage? He is preferred. But notice in verse 1, He's prepared. He's the servant who's prepared. Look what it says in verse 1. I put my spirit upon Him. Now when we study the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I like especially how Luke brings us out, the Gospel of Luke, after Jesus was acknowledged that he began his ministry by, by, by being baptized by John the Baptist and the, and the, and the Father, the Son, the Spirit there at that one time, we're all there at that one event. We find Jesus in Luke chapter 4 from the very outset in verse 1. He's filled with the Spirit of God. And the Bible says in Luke 4, 1, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit to the wilderness. Every time I read that, that's very convicting. The Bible says he was filled with the, he was full of the Spirit and he was led of the Spirit. At the very outset of his ministry until the day that he died on the cross, he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Later on, in the same chapter, tells us in verses 14 to 18, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. He went back to Galilee. He went to his homeland area, around the Sea of Galilee. And he went to all those different village cities, and he preached in their synagogues. And in one of those particular synagogues, he got up and he opened the book of Isaiah, which we're in right now. He opened the book of Isaiah and he read from chapter 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now that's a great verse of scripture and every preacher of the word of God claims that verse. But I'm going to tell you something. He understood that without the filling of the Spirit, without the preparation of the Spirit of God, that he was absolutely useless and powerless for God to use you. Now listen, we can be busy serving God and we can be busy doing all these things things. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, we lack the preparation. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we, act, we lack the productivity, the efficiency, the ability for God to do great and mighty things to us. D.L. Moody said this, when the Spirit came to Moses, the place came upon Egypt, and he had power to destroy men's lives. When the Spirit came upon Elijah, fire came down from heaven. When the Spirit came upon Gideon, no man could stand before him. And when he came upon Joshua, he moved around the city of Jericho, and the whole city fell into his hands. But when the Spirit came upon the Son of Man, he gave his life, he healed the brokenhearted. Jesus is a servant who was, who was preferred, and he's a servant who's prepared. But notice verses 3 and 4. We see a servant in his practices. Now, when we think about a servant, in many, many cases, a servant just does only what's expected of him. Can I say something this morning to us as servants of the living God? We do beyond just what's expected of us. We should go beyond people's expectations. Amen? We should do more. We should do more than others. Jesus said that over in Matthew chapter 5. We should do more than others. 
And I want you to see some things that will encourage your heart about a servant of God, Jesus Christ, who exceeds our expectations and his practices. And his practices, he ministers to you, uh, you and I in a way that surpasses any of our thought or comprehension. Notice first of all, verse 4. Verse 4 says, He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Would you notice that first phrase? He shall not fail nor be discouraged. Maybe you're like me, you've been to a restaurant. Or you stood in line at a store like Walmart or Costco. And we have this minimal expectation of customer service, do we not? I mean, you expect that they're going to treat you nicely and not be rude to you. And in Tokyo, hope the customer is not rude also. You expect that they're, if you go to a restaurant, you know, whether they're outdoor dining or indoor dining, just imagine pre-COVID days, that they're going to get your order right. They're going to write it down just correctly. They're going to bring water and bread to your table and you've got silverware there or whatever it may be. You've got place settings, things like that. But you know the feeling. When the service is less than expected, if someone drops the ball, if they, they, they give less than their best, if they're grumbling, complaining, and they yell at you and they chew you out or they overcharge you and they expect a tip when really they probably are not deserving of a tip and uh, they show incompetence in what they're doing or they make you wait excessively long. You know what I'm going to say about that? You're going to be just like me. You're going to feel like, you know what? This is really bad service. I don't know if I really want to cover. They failed to bring my meal out hot. They failed to not put, his, they put too much salt on it. They made it too spicy. They made it too oily. I mean, they don't, they, they, they just fail what they do. But can I tell you something? As we look at our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, He shall not fail nor be discouraged. Listen today, Jesus Christ will never fail you in anything He does. Think about Jairus. Jairus was a wealthy man. By anything he wanted. A day came, his daughter that he loved very much, a 12-year-old girl, got sick. She got progressively sick. The doctors and whoever else could not help her. And the Bible describes her condition that she was at the point of death. Now, parents, you understand what I'm going to say here. When you have a little child or little baby that gets a fever, that that fever spikes and it gets to 100, 100, 100, 100, 103, you're pretty frantic. You're getting real worried. That child's lymph nodes start to expand and get inflamed. And that child shows signs they're getting lethargic and sick and you're getting really concerned. That's, you're very concerned. You want immediate help. You, your, your first thought is, I'm going to go to ER. I need them to address the situation. I don't want to wait in line for a long period of time. I mean, this man was there, but even beyond there. Because he had a daughter that he knew was at the point of death. Her pulse rate was dropping. Her breathing was becoming shallow. She, paleness was in her face. She couldn't eat. She couldn't, they couldn't even get water down her throat. I mean, she's dehydrated. I mean, she's lethargic. She's out of it. And he's frantic. He hears that Jesus is in town. And immediately he finds out where Jesus is. He makes a beeline and gets to Jesus. He probably cuts through the crowds and goes right to Jesus. My daughter's at the point of death. Would you come home with me? And Jesus would not be like you and I, who have all these things on our checklist of things to do and said, well, can you wait in line? Jesus dropped everything he did and he was doing at that moment. He says, sure, sir, sure, I'll come home with you. They're walking. 
They're making their way. And you have to understand, if you get to Luke chapter 7, now Jesus' ministry is very prominent. And there are crowds around him. Almost think of it like being stuck in traffic, okay? Bay Area traffic. And you're trying to get to your destination. You're trying to get to ER, the hospital with your child. But you're stuck in traffic right now. And you can imagine all these people there that are slowing down the process. They're impeding their progress there. And, you know, you could just imagine this man, Jairus. He's looking at his watch. He's getting very concerned. I've got to get Jesus to my home. I've got to get him to take care of my daughter. And his faith is not expanded enough to where he really understands that Jesus and control the situation. And then to make matters more complicated, not worse, but more complicated, unbeknownst to this man, Jairus, there's a lady there who also has a health problem. We're not told her name, but we're told her condition. We're told that this lady had an issue of blood. Now that's basically a way of saying that she had a hemorrhaging problem and she was a bad problem. The doctors couldn't help her. The Bible says she sought out all the doctors she could for 12 years. The Bible said this way, she sought out all the physicians and she spent all that she had and she was none the better. And that's a terrible feeling when you've, when you've spent up all your money and you've seen all the doctors, you've tried all the homemade recipe re- remedies and things and nothing's helped you, none the better. And then to make matters worse, not only was this woman suffering, not only was this woman pale and anemic and she was suffering on top of that from a jewish culture standpoint she was ostracized and excluded from the temple worship but because of her problem according to the book of leviticus that she was excluded from worshiping god they did not allow her to serve now, i don't know about you that would be like saying somebody that had covid that's well not being allowed to come back into church you hear what i'm saying or someone having cancer who's gotten well who has to be protected or health we say, well, I don't want to catch me. We're not going to come back to church. And this lady was ostracized. She's feeling insecure. She's feeling left out, feeling excluded from everything. And now this lady says, hey, I heard Jesus is in town too. Now bear in mind, she, does, she really doesn't have a clue that he's going back with Jairus back to Jairus' home. And she comes up behind Jesus and she says, you know, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. She, she never met Jesus. She never met him. All she knew is what she heard about him. Hey, that's great faith. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing. Hey, listen, this morning, if you would just hear the word of God and grow in faith, God can bless and use your faith. Well, she comes up behind Jesus and she touches the hem of his garment. She touches the back of his, of his, of his coattails there. She touches him. She says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, she'd be made whole. And immediately, her faith, she touched Jesus, she was made whole. I mean, the, 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 this hemorrhaging problem stopped and it's like she never was sick. She's well. She's healed, praise God. And she's restored, but she's scared because Jesus turns around and she says, okay, who touched me? You ever done that? Someone's touched you and you say, okay, who touched me? But he didn't say, who touched me because he was offended. He wanted the lady to acknowledge the great work of God in her life. Hey, has Jesus touched your life? Have you told somebody how Jesus touched you? And he wanted to acknowledge her faith and he did. He told her sins were forgiven. But go back to Jairus for a minute. Jairus is looking at his watch. He's thinking, man, precious time has gone by. This lady has stopped us along the way. I, man, I hope we get back to my house in time. I, I'm really hoping my, there's nothing wrong with my daughter. And as they approach the house, these professional paid mortars come out. They're moaning and crying and wailing. And they come out to Jesus. They say, oh, tell the master, don't come. Your daughter's dead. But Jesus did not fail. Amen. Jesus went to Jairus' home and said, don't worry, don't fret. She's not dead. She's asleep. He took her by the hand. He said, damsel, take me by the hand. And he lifted her up. She came, but she rose from the dead. He brought her back up and gave her life. Hey, listen, can I tell you, no matter how dire your situation may be, Jesus is the servant of God who never fails in his practices. He's there for you. But notice something else real quickly. This is encouraging. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, the Lord gives us two metaphors. 
two very colorful images to help us uh, to give a colorful representation of the Bible. And one of these metaphors he uses, one of these pictures, is a bruised reed. Now, if you lived in that area of the world, you understand it, but you've, you've all encountered this. Imagine with me a, a pond of water, a wadi as they call it in the Middle East, where these bulrushes grow, very long rods and stems with kind of like a cattail head. They're very thin. They grow where there's water. And imagine with me where it's at that just a very a strong gust of wind could push it and bruise it. So in other words, it would be like this flower, which I'm not going to take, but like a flower here if the, the head bends over. Or imagine an animal walking through that pond to get some water, and it tramples on that reed, and it bruises it. Now, what he's saying here, a bruised reed shall he not break. You know what that's saying there? You might be someone who's been bruised in your heart. You may have been bruised by some unkind words. You may have been hurt by circumstances out of your control. Jesus doesn't come along and add insult to injury. He doesn't come along and hurt you even further. He doesn't break the head off. He comes alongside to nurture us and to help us and to be gentle to us. He's speaking to us about the kindness and the gentleness of our Lord Jesus Christ. A bruised reed shall he not break. He comes alongside to nurse us back to health. Someone said this. He says, there is no man so bruised that he is broken. None so injured as that restoration is impossible. No depravity so total that it may not, that it cannot be healed. None so far off that he may be brought nigh. Jesus is kind and gentle. A bruised reed shall he not break. But then there's another metaphor that speaks about his practices. He shall not fail nor discourage. Notice the second metaphor. He speaks about a smoking flax. Now, I forgot to bring it again. I did uh, in a previous service. But I have on my, my desk, I have a Jewish lamp. A Jewish lamp, what they have was, you know, would, would be considered their version of a flashlight that day. Basically, it was a piece of pottery about the size of a man's hand, maybe a little bit smaller. Looked like, it would look like to us a, a miniature teapot. It was made out of porcelain. It was made out of clay. And what they would do is they would, they would fill it with oil and they would take a flax, you know, a, a, a flax, they would take the plant, the flax, of a, and, and they would turn it into like a, a wick. They would, they would tie it up very tightly as a kind of like a wick. We would call it a wick today. And they would take that stem and stick it inside of that, 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 the, 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 uh, the, the opening there, inside of there, and it would allow it to sit there for a little bit until the wick was saturated with oil. Then they would light it up, and here's what would happen. They would take that lamp in their hand with that wick that's been saturated with oil, because it's filled with oil, and they would walk, and here's what happened. That, that lamp they would have in their hand would be a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path. That's the word of God, amen? A lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path. It would be their light along the way. It would give them enough light for the next step. By by the way, when God speaks us from his word, he only needs to give us enough light for the very next step. Amen. That's all we need. And so they would use that. But here's the challenge. The oil would be consumed. The longer that wick burns, the longer it's burning up, the more oil would be consumed. Now, in that little pottery that, that has it, eventually the time would come when the oil is all exhausted and consumed. When that happens, that lighted wick no longer is glowing and burning. It no longer gives off light. Instead, it gives off smoke and an acrid smell. It becomes smoky and smelly. Now, if you in those days, if they lived in a tent, they would also carry a lamp and hang it upside inside of their tent. The tents would have a 
high ceiling. When it became that place, and you read about this in Psalms 119, when it got to where the oil was exhausted, it became smoky and acrid in there. It, it, it just became, it was very intolerable. And anybody who saw a person holding a lamp that was giving off smoke, they would immediately say, hey, sir, hey, ma'am, your lamp is lacking in oil. Now, look what it says here. A smoking flax shall he not quench. Our immediate response to that is remove the wick, replace the wick, get rid of it. That's not what our Lord does. The wick is representing that flax, is representing your life and mine. God doesn't replace you. God doesn't throw you aside. God doesn't break you off. No, what God does is he looks at that container and he refills it with oil. Oh, how that speaks so beautifully to us about the fact that many of us in our lives that we're busy serving and busy acting for God and the Holy Spirit of God is working our life, but we're depleting ourselves of the filling of the Spirit. We're depleting ourselves of the power of God because maybe we've not spent enough time in prayer in the presence of God. And the end result of that is we've depleted ourselves of these things. Then the end result is we need more oil. Thank God that Jesus comes along as we plead to him and look to him. He doesn't put out, he doesn't quench us. He replenishes us. Thank God for a savior who in his practices replenishes you and I with strength and mercy and help for every one of our lives. He is the humble servant. Notice secondly, we must move very quickly. Notice verses six to nine. Now we see Jesus, the servant, He's the humble servant. But writing this, God told Isaiah, I want you to give the people that I'm writing to a word of encouragement. A word of assurance. If you would, and I've enabled this for the second point, a heavenly certification. It's like taking a legal document and getting it notarized. I want you to give my people a heavenly certification about this servant. Why did you send this servant? Well, notice number one, verse five, very quickly. The certification is about the souls of men. Look at verse five. The last part. He that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spare it to them that walk therein. Now, when God made Adam and made you and I, he made us as living souls. The most important thing about you is not your clothing, not your style, not your intelligence, not your articulation. No, those are great things. Don't get me wrong. The most important thing about every person here today is our soul. Your soul. God loves your soul. God's concerned about your soul. I was praying this with some men this morning. The Bible says in Proverbs, the Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish. Now, why is your soul important? Well, number one, your soul will perish one day. Your soul will perish one day. If you go through life and you do not repent of your sins and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ the Savior, you can spend all of eternity in the devil's hell. And the Bible says this in Ezekiel 18.4, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also does the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. God's telling us that if you die with your sins unforgiven and cleansed, you can spend all of eternity in hell. Your soul will perish. But there's a second thing. Your soul is precious. Your soul means everything to God. Your soul is more precious to God than probably even to you. It is precious to God. Listen to what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said in Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus said this, listen, of all the things we need to give account for, of all the things important to the most important thing is your very soul. Hey, can I ask you a question this morning? Are you saved today? 
Are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? Or are you someone that's living life haphazardly? Are you doing living life to the neglect of your soul? You're going to wait till a more convenient season. Or you're going, to, you're going to say maybe tomorrow, oh my friend, today if you're not saved, I plead with you today. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Please take an account your soul. Listen, today as a Christian, you've been around for a short time or a long time. Give account the fact that the most important thing is about your soul. Build up your soul. Invest in your soul. Come to church and invest in your soul. Be into the Word of God and invest in your soul. Learn to have a daily devotion time, a reading of the Bible and prayer time with God so you invest in your very soul. Well, God gives us assurance for the souls of men, but notice secondly, verses 6 to 9, God gives us assurance by the sending of the Messiah. Now, the name Jesus was a very prominent name. In the Old Testament, was the name Joshua. In the New Testament, the name is Jesus. I love it how my, my Hispanic brothers and sisters in Christ, they got it down right. It's Josue and Jesus. Amen? Josue and Jesus. But both mean the same thing. They mean Jehovah is salvation. Listen, so how do you distinguish that Jesus is the real Jesus? Okay? Well, you distinguish the real Jesus by the name Christ. Christ means Messiah. Christ means the anointed one, the one set apart for the mission of God. And so when we say Jesus Christ, there's only one Jesus Christ. There are not two Jesus Christ. There are not three Jesus Christ. There's not a hundred Jesus Christ. There's only one Christ, and he's Jesus Christ, God's son. Amen? And verse 6 says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people and for a light to the Gentiles. Now right there, verse 6, leading down to verse 9, everything he says in this certification is doing this. It's giving us what is capsulized in the New Testament in one verse. It's capsulizing for us the mission, the purpose, the reason why Jesus came to earth. And that one verse of the Bible that is capsulized in verses 6 to 9 is John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now notice this here in verse, verse, verse 6. God called and brought Jesus to this earth in righteousness. The Son of God became the Son of Man, yet without sin. And he said, I have given thee for a covenant of the people. Now God established covenants with the Jewish people. And the very beginning of those covenants was the covenant in Genesis 3.15 of the sending of the Christ, the Messiah. Now, the Jewish people had many, many, many practices and types that they exercised the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus Christ. The Passover feast pointed to Jesus Christ. He is the Passover lamb. No wonder when John the Baptist saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hey, the Day of Atonement, the offering of the goat, I'll talk about that for a couple moments tonight, the offering of the goat on the altar on the Day of Atonement, and the one, the, the second goat that was sent away into the wilderness, they represented Jesus Christ. I mean, all of those things represented Jesus Christ. But but the problem was in the Old Testament, those sacrifices, those festivities, those ceremonies had to repeat it over and over again. And on top of that, they were performed by human men who had to offer those animal sacrifices for their own sins. Now, Jesus came as our gated high priest. He did not have to die for his sins because he had no sins. He died for your sins and mine, and he did it once and for all. But it gets better than that. The Jewish people were looking forward to that. Now we get to verse 6 and it says at the end, He came to be a covenant for the people for a light of the Gentiles. Now here's what it's saying there. Jesus in coming to earth did not die for the Jewish people only. He came to die for the whole world. That's a wonderful thing. He didn't die for what we call an unconditional election. He died for everybody. 
He died for you and he died for me. And I, look across our, I look across our church and I'm thankful for the many, many multiple number of ethnicities in our church. And I thank God for the many ethnicities around the barrier. But I'm telling you, Jesus Christ died for every person. He died for every ethnic group. He died for every race of people. Jesus died that sins could be paid for in full and that you and I could find our way to heaven. Listen, we read later on, it says in verse 7, it says to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison. Jesus came to give See sight to the blind and those who are in bondage to sin to set us free. Then in verse 8, he tells us he certifies all this in his name. Now it's like a notary public. A notary public takes a legal document, they put a stamp of they put a seal on it, and they sign their name on it. They certify it. When a judge makes a decision, he signs that legal document and he seals it with his name. Notice verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory when I give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Now God certifies the sending of our Lord Jesus Christ. He certifies God, Christ's purpose and die on the cross through the name of Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12. This is so important because this is how you get saved. He says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. Listen, you don't get saved through the name of Alan Fong. You don't get saved through the name of somebody else. And you don't get saved through the name of some, the, 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 through a church or any other. We get saved through the name of Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation any other. John chapter 1 verse 12. Jesus himself said this. He said, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Hey, my question for you this morning. Have you believed on the name of Jesus Christ? Have you called on Jesus to save you from your sins? Notice verse 9. It gets better than that. He said in verse 9, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. This is wonderful. Now, the former things, he said, all the things I prophesied of here in the Old Testament, everything that you read in Isaiah and everything you read in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and all throughout the Old Testament, he said, though those former things will come to pass, Isaiah 9, 6, the prophecy of the, born, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ coming through a virgin in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he said, those former things will come to pass, they'll happen. By the way, they have happened, Amen. But it gets better than that because in verse 9, he says, listen, the former things are come to pass and new things do I declare to you. Listen, the new things I could tell you about today is the new covenant established by Jesus Christ. He does away with the law. We are sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. What are those new things? Listen, once you're saved, you're always saved. There's no need for further sacrifices. Hebrews 10.10 says this, by the which will we are sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. My friend, when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he doesn't have to be repeated over and over again. There's no need for new ceremonies. There's no need for enactment of his death. There's no need to looking for symbols. Listen, everything he fulfilled in the flesh when he died on the cross for every sinner. We have a heavenly certification. We have a humble servant, but as we close this morning, it gets, this is really good now. Look at the last point. Look at verses 10 to 17 and we're done. Sorry, I'm rushing here a little bit. I'm trying to be cognizant of the time. Would you notice the honoring song? He's told them about Jesus, the servant, the creator, our creator, our savior. He says, listen, all these things I've, tell, I've told you, former things are come to pass and new things I declare. Look at verse 10. Sing unto the Lord a new song. And his praise from the end of the earth, ye that go down to the sea and all that is therein, the isles and inhabitants thereof. 
My friend, this morning, I want to tell you something. Singing is an integral part of worship. You cannot separate singing from worship. Wherever there's singing in the Bible, it's associated with worship. Now listen, we're, we're going through a unique phenomenon right now. We've got health departments and government officials that are saying singing spreads COVID-19. My friend, singing does not spread COVID-19. Droplets spread COVID-19. And I understand, I'm not disputing the fact that in the early days of COVID-19, there were some choirs that sang in different parts of our country. And they did wear face coverings. They didn't social distance. And they didn't really check people out back in those days because they didn't know. They sang and there were some infected people there. And they had a super spreader problem. And I understand there have been some churches where there was singing being done and they weren't very protective of the super spreader situation. But I want to tell you something. As, a, as, as an adverse reaction to all that, and I, call, and I use that adjective strongly, adverse. As an adverse reaction, now they're saying that every church is a super spreader problem. I want to tell you something today. Every church is not a super spreader problem. And I want to tell you something else. Every church should not be paralyzed for singing. Listen, for a, for a government entity to say you can't sing anymore, they're going in contradiction to the Word of God. Singing is part of worship. We need to sing. We need to sing. Notice in verse 9, verse 10, he says, No matter where you're at, you're to sing. If you come from the ends of the earth, wherever that may be, you're to sing. Listen, I've traveled just a little bit, and I've been in different parts of the world, and I'm thankful that every place I've gone, different culture groups, different language, I'm thankful for one thing. The people there, they sing just like Heritage Baptist Church sing. They sing with enthusiasm. They sing with, they sing with just a desire to worship the Lord and exalt Christ. Listen, you may not be able to carry a tune, but you can sing. You may not be harmonious, but you can sing. You may be somebody that the person next to you goes like this when they hear you sing, but you can sing. Amen. You need to sing. Listen, singing is part of worship. God puts a song in our heart. I'm going to tell you something this morning. Please don't be offended by this. Maybe what we're lacking in our Christian life is for everyone to get a, a godly hymnal like what we have here at church. To have a hymnal, and maybe you're trying to get your spiritual life back together. You're always in a spirit of discouragement, and you're down. Maybe what you need to do is get a hymnal and just sit somewhere isolated where the Lord can hear you and just sing out loud. Years I spent in vanity and pride, carry not my, 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 my soul that he was crucified. Carry not the, for me that, that he died at Calvary. And we ought to just sing about at Calvary. We ought to sing about my Savior's love. We ought to sing about amazing grace. And we ought to sing about heaven came down and glory filled my soul. I don't know about you, but this morning we sang praise him, praise him. I got fired up. I got excited because you know what? We're praising the Lord. We're not praising a man. We're not praising an institution. We're praising the God of gods and the Lord of lords. I don't know about you, but listen, we ought to praise God from the depths of our heart. We ought to praise God from the depths of our soul and be excited that we get to praise God. I mean, we get to worship him. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. How great thou art. I mean, we can go on and on and on, but through singing we worship God. Now notice this matter. He says, no matter where you're at in the world, you should sing. Look at verse 11. He says, let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voices. Now let me tell you something today. As I look at verses 10 to 12, there's a commanded multitude. No matter where we're at in the world, we're to sing to the Lord. We're to sing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making men of heart. You say, Pastor Fong, my English is not very good. That's fine. Sing in your language. But sing a hymn in your language that praises God. Amen. Look at verse 10. He says, if you, you might be on an island. I've been to New Zealand. That's an island. Man, they can sing over there. I've been in the Philippines, different part of the Philippines. Man, they sing good. I've been to Costa Rica. They sing great. I have listened to my brothers and sisters in Christ from churches down in Mexico, Mexico City specifically. I mean, they speak, they can sing. 
In China, I've been in China, they can sing. I mean, I don't, I don't care where you've gone. In India, they can sing. I'll be preaching chapel service for one of our missionaries there by, by Zoom for their chapel service in the country of India. I promise you one thing. I know that pastor. They're going to sing. And then he says in verse 11, well, how about those of you who are like the Bedouin Arabians? He said, lift up your voice. Those of you in the wilderness of cities and the villages of Kedar. He says, maybe you're somebody, you're in the wilderness of life. Man, you're discouraged. You're beaten up. You feel like you're going in circles. You're discouraged. You feel like you're going nowhere. Your career is the pits. Your home is the pits. Even your dog doesn't love you. Amen, you know? He says, doesn't matter where you're at right there. He says, you know what you need to do is you need to sing. Notice verse, verse 12. He says here, let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise in the islands. He says in verse 11, let the inhabitants of the rocks sing. Now, what is he talking about there? That's kind of interesting. Because the geographic location of those being in the rocks, he's talking about those who are in the area of Petra. Now, we believe Petra is going to be the area where maybe the Jews during the tribulation time, they're going to run there and hide there. And he's talking about the cliffs of the rock. He says, maybe you're somebody that you're, you're just... You know, you just feel like, I feel withdrawn. I don't know if I want to hang out with people. I just, I'm afraid of getting COVID. I'm afraid of getting cooties from somebody, you know? And so you're, you're afraid you're going to run. You're, so you go over the rocks and hide somewhere. He says, God knows you feel this desolation. But saying, yeah, let me say this to you. You need to sing to encourage your heart and to worship the Lord. Because maybe your prayer life is so dried up. And you're just at this place where you're going over. Maybe you need to stop and sing. Because I'm going to tell you this. As we see this commanded multitude, notice this. We see the conquering mission. Preceding, as you study the Bible, preceding every great work of God, there is always a heavenly chorus that is singing and doing something great. God, after they passed the Red Sea, God was not finished working to them. And the very first thing they did, they led the congregation in Exodus chapter 15 to sing. Listen, they were singing here. And the Bible now says in verses 13 to 17, we see the conquering mission. Listen, we want God to work in our life. We want God to bring revival to our soul. And we want to get ourselves revived and stirred up. We need to have a time of singing, a time of music, a time of celebration in the Lord. And we need to be at this place of realizing if we want God to work, God is waiting to hear praises from our mouth and a tune from our heart and a desire for us that God would work in our heart in a mighty way. And so God does that. He talks about first one, verses 13 to 15. He says this, if you notice this, he says, as you sing, God's going to rise and do something great for you. Listen, he says, God will thoroughly defeat your enemies. He will thoroughly defeat your foes. And here's what happens. We're, we're stuck in this place of life. He says, God, when are you going to help me? I prayed, God, when are you going to help me? God, it's been so long. Lord, would you help me? God, I didn't get the job. Lord, I'm trying to get into the military. Lord, I'm trying to pass this test. I'm trying to get into college. Lord, I'm trying to keep my job, whatever it may be. And you're wondering what's going on. And you know what? You're spending more time crying and wailing and complaining. You haven't spent time singing. We need to balance our life out with praises if we haven't figured that out. Amen. Look at verse 13. The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. Hey, you know what? God's going to fight for you. He shall cry 
Yea, roar, he shall prevail against his enemies. He said, I have long time held in my peace. I have been still and refrained myself. Now will I cry like a travailing woman. I will destroy and devour. Man, I love this. You know what God is saying? Man, I've heard your voices. You've listened to the word of God. I've heard your voices and singing. I've heard your exuberance. I've heard your excitement. I've heard your desire for worship. I hear that you love me and you're singing out your song to me. Maybe you can't carry a tune, but you can sing. He says, you know what? I, now I know you really love me. And I, now I know you really trust me. And so, you know what God's saying here? I'm going to rise up like a man of war. I'm I'm going to go and fight for you, and I'm going to prevail over your enemies. And he says this in verse 13, which is, oh, excuse me, verse 14. He says, I have held back, and you wonder why God hasn't answered prayer, and you wonder why God is holding back. Listen, he says, I have long time held my peace. I have been still and refrained myself. He says, now I know you're really sincere. Now I'm going to rise up. And he says, now will I cry like a travailing woman. Now every woman's given birth can understand this. He's talking about a woman who's giving birth. Before that man child, that baby child is born, she gives that final push and she cries out and she says, the baby's born. Listen to what God's saying here. Listen, I'm at the place. I, I've heard you. I know you're sincere. I know you're real. So you know what's going to happen here? I'm going to cry like a travailing woman. The image here is so beautiful because what he's saying there, I'm going to come at the right time and the right moment. I'm going to come and I'm going to come and help you wherever you need help right then and there. There's a commanded multitude. There's a concrete mission. He says, I've come to thoroughly deliver you from your foes. But as we end, notice verse 16. I have come to thoroughly deliver my friends. In verse 16, he says this. And I will bring the blind by a way they knew not. I will lead them paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight these things will I do unto them and not forsake them. He's not talking about enemies. He's talking about friends. I'm going to close. The Lord comes alongside of us as our advocate with the Father. You feel like you're walking blindly? We all feel like that. We sometimes come to a place in life we just can't see very clearly. He says, I'll give you sight. We come to crossroads in life. We're not sure which road to take. God says this. I'll show you which road to take. He says, you come to a crooked place in life. I'll make those crooked things straight. I mean, that's what he's saying there. That's what we find repeated over and over again. From Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 6. Hey, I'm just saying to you today, we have a Savior here who is a humble servant. We have a Savior here who gives a heavenly certification. And we have a Savior here who tells us that we must give an honoring song. I'm telling you today, God is there to help you, to serve you, to bless you, to encourage you, to get you out of the doldrums of life, to encourage you. Now, as we, we recognize that as Alameda County is moving and shifting and this week, Lord willing, we're praying that the county will be in the orange zone because the numbers are looking very good. The metrics were looking very good. They released their metrics on Thursday and the numbers are looking very good that Alameda County now has gone from purple to red and, and red to orange and they still have not declared they're going to formally reopen churches. But we're hoping that when, they, when we get into the orange zone, they're going to formally reopen churches so we can just go all out in everything we're doing. But I'm going to tell you this, we may feel like, you know, we've been in COVID-19 for so long, we feel like we're withdrawn, we're in the wilderness, we feel like we're in the clefts of the rock. And I'm going to tell you this, you may feel all that, but you've got to come alongside the Lord, and you've got to recognize Isaiah chapter 42, God is there for you, He will not fail you, He'll not discourage you, He'll give you sight where you're blind, He'll make those crooked paths straight, He'll make it very clear. And listen, to boot to all that, He just wants you to know, He's there to deliver you through whatever circumstance you've got. That's what He is. Why? Because He loves you. Because he loves you. Are you saved? Are you saved?
Or have you just gone through the motions? I can't pray for you and get you saved. You need, to, you need to repent of your sins and come to Christ and ask Him to save you from your sins. Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Do you have a new song in your heart? Even praise unto our God? Do you sense the Lord wanted to do for you what He said here in verses 10 to 17? He does. He will. But we've got to get out of this place of being discouraged and depressed and down in darkness. Get in the light, amen? Be encouraged in the Lord. Get back to church, amen? Have a wonderful time rejoicing in Jesus. Listen, if you're in Jesus Christ, you have the joy of the Lord. I said this last Sunday night. Listen, if your joy cup has been, been depleted, I gave you seven or eight things you can do to replenish that joy cup in Jesus Christ. Let's get our joy back. Let's be excited to the Lord. We're going to close in prayer. The Lord spoke into your heart right where you're seated. I'm going to encourage you to kneel where you're at and humbly just tell God whatever he's put in your heart that you need restored. Commit your burdens, your cares to Him. And if you need to get saved, we're going to give you an opportunity to just repent of your sins and call upon the name of the Lord to save you because He wants to save you right now. Today on October 11th, you can be born again into God's family. You can be saved today. Know for sure you're safe and going to heaven.